Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. But when that time, excuse me, now uh, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are setting your mind on the thing, not on the things of God, but on the things of men. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall one give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear people of God, it is wonderful to be here with you at St. Luke's on this Labor Day weekend and on this Sunday of Confirmation. Would you please join me in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for the greater glory of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, not only do I get to be here on Labor Day weekend, but, but I also get to be here on uh, the Sunday after Father Greg Kronz has had his 25th anniversary as the rector of your parish. I know you're celebrating it in October. But last Friday was the day. 25 years of faithful ministry. And it's a joy, uh, Father Greg, for me to know you as a friend, as a fellow brother uh, on this way of life in Jesus Christ and to see the the wonderful ministry you have exercised here at St. Luke's and in Hilton Head and further afield, Tanzania and all over the world. Well, now sermon time. And I don't know if Father Greg usually puts a sermon title up there or not. But if there were, this sermon had a title, it would be this. The Good Life or a Good Life. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. 
That wonderful writer, Annie Dillard, once said, It's not good days that are hard to come by. It's good lives. That's what's hard to come by. We all have good days. Most of us, I suppose, well, most of you in Hilton Head, I'm guessing, I don't know that, but most of you would say a day on the golf course is a good day. Especially if you've played well. But unless you're a professional golfer, a life spent on the golf course is probably not a good life. It's a good day, I suppose, if a man and woman go in great joy and delight into a jewelry store to buy a gorgeous ring, whether it be for a wedding engagement or some special occasion when, when the long-suffering, loving husband decides he's going to buy his wife something for all the wonderful things she's done for him. She'll probably say at the end of the day, it's a good day. But a life spent buying jewelry in a jewelry store, I don't suppose most people would call that a good life. You see, the world puts up there before us the good life. That's what you ought to go for. But as you may know, There's people who get the good life, but when they're buried, not not too many people say they lived a good life. They're not the same. A good life is built on two things. Belief, what you believe, and how you behave. It's a biblical truth that what you believe will determine how you behave. It's a corresponding biblical truth that how you behave sooner or later will determine what you believe. You cannot separate the two. Doctrine leads to duty. Duty shapes doctrine. What you believe will influence how you behave. How you behave will influence what you believe. That's why in our reading this morning from the letter of Paul to the Romans, after 11 chapters of closely argued doctrine and belief, he turns to behavior. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now that phrase, the mercies of God, sums up 11 chapters of Christian teaching about doctrine and belief. That will determine the good life, a good life. But it has to be put into practice in order to make the life a good life that others will acknowledge. 
Let me try to get at it this way. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. What is that? The mercy of God. Well, we can sum it up this way. And you know this because you've seen it even behind the goalposts in football games. John 3.16 God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then the text goes on to say, For God sent not His Son into the world. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through His Son might be saved. So when Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by this mercy of God. Now, the difficulty is that when we hear the phrase, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that we hear it in our heads. We don't feel it in our hearts. So I like to tell a story to help get the truth from the head to the heart. You may have heard me tell this story before. It's a a story about a man named George Harley. It's a true story. He lived in the early 1900s. By the time he was 35, he had five earned degrees. He had an advanced degree in theology, had a degree in sociology, had a degree in anthropology, had a degree, was a medical doctor, and had an advanced degree in the diseases of the tropics. And he was married to a woman named Winifred, who was seven and a half months pregnant, when God called them to the mission field in Africa. They got in a boat in North Carolina and they sailed across the Atlantic to that area that we think of today as Liberia. And they started going into the jungles. And they went into an area where no white man had ever been before. One day they were camping for the night. Winifred, eight months pregnant now, turned to her husband, George, and said, Don't look now, George. There's faces behind those trees. George said, Don't worry. God is with us. God will take care of us. The next day, they went a little further, and they saw a bend in the river where there was a village and they both sense, this is it. I lost a microphone. I never did, these things never fit on my ears. Too many years spent wrestling in high school and college. But anyway, let's move on. They, they said, this is it. This is where God's called us to serve. So they built three huts. They built one hut in which to live. One hut to be the worship hut. And one hut as a medical dispensary. Their little boy Robert was born. They had been there three years. And every day people would come to the medical hut for treatment. But on Sunday mornings, the only ones who were ever down at the worship hut 
was Dr. George, his wife, Winifred, and their little boy, Robert. Three years. One day, George is working in the medical hut, and he looks out of the window, and he sees his little boy, Robert, run and stumble and fall. The little boy picked himself up, and once again he ran and stumbled, and he fell. A third time he he got up to run, but he stumbled and fell. George said, oh no, not my boy, Robert. George said, I ran out and I scooped him up. I brought him back into the medical hut. I put him on the dispensary table and, and I said, don't worry, Robert. Your father has five earned degrees. He will find out what's wrong. George said, I reached back for everything I knew. But I presided over the death of my boy thousands of miles from my home in Norwood, North Carolina. George said, Winifred and I, we built a little box and we put some African leaves in it and we we put our little boy Robert in it. George said, I picked it up, started carrying it through the village out to the burial ground. I was going by the blacksmith shop when the African blacksmith said, what do you got there? I said, I got my boy, Robert. The African said, I'll help you carry him. My gosh, he said. For three years we had worked there, and that was the first offer of help we had received. Well, we we got out to the burial ground, Winifred and the African and me, And we dug a hole and we put the little box in it. We covered it up with dirt. And there in the little dirt mound, I made a makeshift wooden cross and I stuck it in the ground and I tried to say some prayers and I was so overcome by grief, I collapsed. There on the ground, weeping like a child for the past. My head right beneath that cross. And the African, he went running back to the village. Yelling. Yelling at the top of his lungs. White man! White man! White man! He cried like one of us! He cried like one of us! Next Sunday, George and Winifred somehow or another dragged themselves down to the worship hut expecting no one to be there, not wanting to be there themselves. And the whole village was there. The next Sunday, the whole village was there. And that's the way it was from that time on. Well, George was back in the United States some years later on missionary furlough. He was in a church like this and he told the story. And after the Sunday service, people were going out shaking his hand, and one man paused and said, Dr. Harley, my gosh, that was a powerful story you told about your son. But you know what bothered me about that story? And Dr. George said, what? The man said, you had to give up your son in order to break through to the people. 
And George looked at him with penetrating eyes and said, my friend, that's what God had to do too. How do you get the truth from the head to the heart? These mercies of God. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For what reason? Because you and I have done things we ought not to have done. And we have done those things we shouldn't have done. And that's a problem. Because when we've done things we shouldn't have done, we've sometimes hurt people. And when we haven't done things we should have done, we sometimes have hurt people. And sometimes the one we've hurt is ourselves. And sometimes it's those we love, and sometimes it's those we don't know. St. Paul says, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death dragging me down? And St. Paul has spent 11 chapters talking about the one who delivers through faith in Jesus Christ. Because God so loved the world that He gave His Son, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Right? So Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by these mercies of God, the mercies of forgiveness, of His abiding presence, of guilt removed, shame healed, by these mercies through Jesus Christ, I appeal to you. From what you believe, what you've come to know through faith, that now, today, in St. Luke's church in Hilton Head that you present your body as a living sacrifice. You may say, wait a minute. Body? I thought religious life was all about the soul. Oh no, my friends. The body influences the soul. The soul influences the body. The mind shapes the heart and the heart shapes the mind. They all three work together. Let me illustrate this. Imagine this. Imagine a man who makes a habit of trying to get more done in a day than he should and trying to get one more thing done, or a woman trying to get one more thing done before they get in a car to drive somewhere. And that's become a habit. They get in the car and they're pressed for time. And they want to be a kind, considerate, safe, caring driver. But they're late for the appointment. They believe you ought to drive your car with care. They believe you ought to be considerate of other people. They believe you ought to be patient at a stop signal. They believe you ought to turn the other cheek when someone cuts in front of you. But the habit has put you in a bind. And pretty soon you're behaving differently than what you believe. And believing things about people that you didn't before. 
So someone you don't know at all who's driving too slowly, you say, you turkey, pull over! Get out of my way! Behavior is shaping belief, isn't it? We're not behaving how we believe. But pretty soon you do that long enough and you start believing because of the way you're behaving. It all's interconnected. <laughs> what a problem we are. Well, some of us. I shouldn't say some of you never get in that situation. I live my life in that situation. So I hear these words. Dear brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by these mercies of God, of His forgiveness, His grace, His love, His indwelling presence, to present yourselves, your body, your heart, as a living sacrifice to God. which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. That is, do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. And it will. It will put before you, this is the good life. This is success. This is what you've got to strive for. This is what you've got to have if you want to be happy. This is what you've got to do if you're going to be free. This is you. Go for it. You deserve it. The Bible says, you don't want what you deserve. The Bible says, you don't want justice. You want mercy. You want God's mercy, not what you deserve. So I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, do not let this world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now we've got heart, mind, and body all in there together, because that's what you are. And the mercies of God have brought His forgiveness and His grace and healed you of your shame, the shame you deserve and the shame you don't deserve. He's delivered you from it. So now, He asks you to present yourself with the decision to live a good life, not the good life. And the good life is lived for others as well as for yourself. And when you get to that, suddenly what you've been giving your life for looks pretty weak. As one person says, as you look back on your life, you may realize that the things that mattered most were too often at the mercy of the things that mattered least. That the good was the enemy of the best. That you were terrorized by the tyranny of the urgent. And that you enjoyed very little creative freedom. The net result is we have frittered away much of our time, traded our life mission for minutia, and seldom exercised our unique talents and gifts, and finished precious little of the creative work that we dreamed of doing. 
Is that not true? So the Apostle Paul says, Oh, you don't just have a second chance, you have another chance. Today's the day to make a choice by the mercies of God not to live the good life, not to pursue the good life, but to seek to live a good life. Because it's not good days are defined, it's good lives. And you don't get there by belief alone or by behavior alone, but belief and behavior working together. That's the whole Christian life in a nutshell. You know it because when you come up this morning to receive communion, you'll kneel down at the altar rail and you'll put your hands like this and you say, Lord, I'm going to exchange my sin for your grace. Such a deal. He invites you to do that. You present, you know, the only thing you present for your salvation is your sin. That's all you have to offer. He offers the mercy. He offers the grace. He offers the forgiveness. And because he does all of that, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to present yourself, your body, your mind, your heart as a living sacrifice to God, which is true freedom. The world says this is freedom. But here's the thing. Neither the bird in the cage nor the bird with a broken wing are free to fly. And sin puts us in a cage, and sin wounds our wings. And the world says, fly, and we can't. But the grace of God comes, opens the door of the cage of sin, heals the wings, and the Spirit of God enables us to live freely. How? By the mercies of God, and so we present yourself. My friends, this day, your eternal destiny awaits it. The lives of those around you may depend upon it. So I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by this mercy of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is the true life God's called you to. Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, and search us out. Find us in our place of need. Enable us, Lord, to consider afresh the mercies that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we feel afresh his forgiveness, believe again, and so offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice both to God, which is our true life call. For we ask it in His name. Amen.